0: Good morning everybody. My name's Aaron. Good to see you guys here this morning. Excited to be here? Yep, about half of you. Good. We'll see, see if we can't change that before the morning's over. Um, I'm glad to be back. Several of you asked me when, if, uh, since we were gone last week if it was because we went back to Kansas City to celebrate. I, I think the Chiefs won something big, uh, but I wouldn't want to celebrate in front of everybody. So I just uh, thought I'd let you know that's not what we did. Uh, we just had a couple days away. So thank you for caring about us. And to my dear friends who are Eagle fans, we love you. We love you. Yeah, <laughs> if you didn't hear that, uh, someone said, "Can we get on with the sermon?" <laughs> yes, we can. Uh, before we jump into our series, be real. We're 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 walking through the book of James. Okay. And uh, uh, if you're new to Bridgewater, we will pretty regularly walk through a good section of Scripture. Sometimes we'll have series that are a little more topical, okay? But, but we will walk through every year uh, one good section in the New Testament, one good section in the Old Testament as well. And right now we're walking through um, one of the New Testament books, a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus. It's called James. But before we get into that, I want to just remind you of something. Um, this morning was awesome, right? Seeing those baptisms, amen? If, if you weren't here two weeks ago, we had five baptisms that week as well, amen? Praise God, right? Um, we, we've kind of set some things that we are praying over. Some of them we can really control, some of them we can't. So I want to remind you of some of these and and just let you know a couple things that are going on, okay? We we can't control some of these next things that I'm going to share with you, but, but we can pray for them. These are some of the goals that we are praying over for this next year here at Bridgewater. We are praying that we would see 20 people trust Christ here at the Vestal campus. Can I just share with you, already so far this year we've seen five, right? Amen, right? That is... That is worth celebrating. In fact, uh, just, this, just the end of this week, we had another person trust Christ. You'll hear her story next week. Um, I won't give it away until then, but you're going to get to hear that. So that's, that's five. We're praying that we'd see 20 people get baptized. We've already had seven here. Praise God. Amen, right? Um, we want to we see growth. We want to see more people who come to know Jesus. Um, I, I don't have all the numbers on that, but I'll get it to you. We want to see 20 more people in our small groups before the end of the year, 15 more people serving, and we are praying that we'd have to move to having two services. And I believe that God will will be enabling us to accomplish those things. But the things that we can control were the things that I asked you to consider committing yourselves to. And so these are the the things that I wanted you to to commit to. We were praying for 30 people to commit to inviting at least one person per month. You need to know we had 33 people sign up for that. Amen? That's awesome. I have heard so many stories. People telling me, hey, we're inviting this person. That's awesome. Praise God for that. Okay? Uh, We can control that. We can't control what God does in their lives when they show up. That's up to God. That's not us. That's up to God. But we can invite, we can do that work. And we wanted to see 30 people committed. So far, we've had 20 people committed to sharing the gospel at least one time a month. And because of that, we've, we've already seen, like you've heard, five people trust Christ. Now, I, I, I put that in front of you this morning because I want to monthly keep reminding you of why we're here. We're not just here for a club. We're here so that more people Could know Jesus, and so that we can grow in Jesus. That's why we're here. Okay, all right. Enough of the you know housekeeping, and let's dive in together into the book of James. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you don't have one, you can follow along. You can see it on the screen here what we're going to be looking at. But we're going to be today in James chapter two, and we're going to start in verse fourteen. Let me tell you something about myself to get us started, okay? Here's something that you need to know about me. Um, I wouldn't call myself a control freak. Um, I really wouldn't. I'm, I'm not, not a control freak, but I don't like surprises. How about you? You like surprises? Some of you do. I don't know what's wrong with you, okay? I, I don't like surprises, and I really, really don't like being tricked. Can anybody identify with that? Like if, if somebody tells me something and then that's not the way it goes, that hurts me deep. Uh, Jeff, Shrek and is here, you cut me deep, Shrek. Okay? That's how I feel. No, not you personally. That's how I feel when somebody tricks me. You know? Okay? That, that's how I feel. Before we moved here, we moved back in June. We sold a lot of things and packed up our house. We sold a business, sold a bunch of vehicles. I bought a, a different truck before we moved here, so I'd have one that could haul, you know, all of our equipment and stuff out here. And when, and I bought that truck in my hometown. We'd been looking at it for actually over a month. My dad had test-driven it several times. Once I sold my other vehicles, I, I made a deal with them, and, and my dad had told me several issues that were wrong with this truck that needed to be fixed before we bought it. I told the dealership, they said, yep, we'll have it fixed for you. When you get here, it'll all be ready to go. We'll sign and go, go on your way, because we were moving like three days later. I don't know whose idea that was. It was a very narrow margin, okay? Okay probably mine. I get there. They had purchased one of my trucks. I give them my truck. Everything was good with that. I go to drive this truck, check it out, and the things that I had asked them to fix were not fixed. You can imagine how I was feeling at this time. Not, not real great. I went in and had a conversation with them. They said, oh, we thought we fixed some. Okay, so, so just leave it with us this is 200 miles away from my home. I couldn't leave it with them. I didn't have another vehicle. I'd just sold them my vehicle. What was I supposed to do? So they said, okay, just take it with you, and when you land in, in New York, get it fixed, and we'll pay for it. Cool, can I get that in writing? Got it all figured out, got it all written down, we drive out here. Truck runs fine. Getting out here and everything, but there were just some minor issues. So when I got out here and got settled, I take it in. The, the 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 company, a different Ford dealership, went to fix it. Some of you just said, "Oh yeah, it's a Ford. That's that's the problem." <laughs> I know. They go to fix it. They let us know what it's going to cost. I let the dealership know that I bought it from, and they said, "Oh, we won't pay that much." Uh oh. You can imagine how I felt I was very calm cool and collected (laughs) oh well that sounds great thank you if you believe that about me I've got some land some oceanfront land in Arizona I'd like to uh, sell to you no I the reality is I was upset I was frustrated and here's why they said one thing but then they did another in the end, they, they paid for some of it, but it ended up costing us something like $1,500 out of pocket, and I was pretty upset because of one thing, because of this. They said one thing and did another. Let me share with you one other story. The story is not about me, um, I'm not a big art fan, but I heard this story recently. In fact, it's about it's about a sketch done by a man named Pablo Picasso. Ever heard of him? Let me share with you this sketch. Here's here's what it is. This sketch is called "La Femme à Chapeau Bleu." I don't know if you say it like that or not. I just that sound, <laughs> sounded sounded good to me. So there you go. Here's what it means: woman in a blue hat. <laughs> like that. That's what it means in in French. Okay. Did I say that right? I, got, I almost okay okay again is is from france so she could she could say it uh, accurately okay this is a very famous sketch okay it's not like a lot of picasso's other paintings so this one is 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 pretty you know pretty well known and there was a woman her name was tatiana khan who was a very very well known arts dealer in in la she had a great reputation and how you have a great reputation with the last name Khan, I don't know. But she, she did, and, and she sold this painting, or this sketch, in 2009 for $2 million. She said she was selling it for the Forbes family. Ever heard of the Forbes family? Big Big name. She said she was selling it for the Forbes family, and they wanted to do it privately and discreetly, so they were using her gallery... The person who bought it, after about a year, started to get a little suspicious and decided, you know what, I'm going to look into this. And they found out that it was a fake, that it was a fraud. And after a little bit of an investigation, what they found is that Tatiana had hired one of her art res- restoration specialists to make a copy. She paid her and she produced this copy and then Tatiana turned around and sold it for $2 million. Can you imagine how you would have felt? Can you imagine how you would have felt if you thought that something was real and genuine and then later, later you found out that it's fake? Here's what I know. If you think that something is real or genuine, if you think that it's the real deal and later you find out it's fake, you're probably going to be upset. Wouldn't you agree? I'd think you'd want your money back too. And that's the reality, that there are times that people say one thing and do another. Another. In both of these cases, in my situation, and then in this situation with Tatiana Khan, the people said, they said one thing, and then they did another. And that's a real problem. Now, what would we call that when someone says one thing and does another? What would we call it? We'd call it a counterfeit, a fake, right? That's what we'd call it we'd call it a counterfeit. When I heard this story about Tatiana Khan, it made me think about this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today. And this is, I I just want to be honest with you, this is one of the hardest passages in all of the New Testament. And so, if, if it's your first time here this morning, you're welcome. This is... This is going to be a little bit fun. This is a difficult passage to step through. I will wholeheartedly acknowledge that, okay? And here's why it's difficult. It wrestles with this question of of is something real or is it fake? Is it counterfeit? It wrestles with this question. In fact, I'd say it like this. Is there such a thing as a counterfeit or fake faith? Is there a thing where you could... Look kind of like you're, you say you have faith, but, but the reality of your life is something different. Is it possible? James deals with that. He deals with this question of, hey, what if, what if, something, what if someone says they have faith, but then it, it doesn't line up with their life? It's really a question of, hey, is it possible to show up here? Is it possible to sing? Is it possible to, to have the experiences and not have genuine faith? James Russell's with that question. Now, here's the thing. To be clear, you can, you can be here. You can be here and 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 not be a follower of Jesus. And, and we, in fact, we want you here. You can be here and have questions and objections and all kinds of things. In fact, we we want that. But because we love you and we love each one of you here, we we choose to deal with the hard questions, the important questions, the the questions about what makes something real and genuine. And that's what James deals with, what makes real, genuine faith. Because see, Jesus, even Jesus says that there are some people who say they have faith, but it's not going to be real in the end. Let me show you. In Matthew chapter 7, here's what it says. Look, he says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hmm. So in other words, there will be people who say, yeah, go Jesus. But then when it comes down to it, their faith isn't real. He goes on and he says this in verse 22. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So even Jesus says there are people who will profess faith, but if it's not matched up with their lives, then it's not real. Again, I want to reiterate what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk with you because we love you and because we care. We're talking about important things that have big ramifications. We love you enough to tell you how you can be a follower of Jesus and possess real faith. And that's exactly what James does. James shows us two types of faith. He shows us real faith and fake faith. He shows us the characteristics of real and fake faith. And here's what he actually teaches us, okay? Here's the overarching idea, the big idea of what we're going to talk about today. If you don't catch anything else, please catch this. It's this idea. Deeds reveal the quality of our faith. They really do. Putting action to my faith reveals whether or not it's real. My life coming in line with Jesus reveals whether or not my faith is real. Now faith, and faith alone is a requirement to be saved, but a real faith will change you. That's what James says. So let me just walk you through James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Okay, here we go. Here's verse 14. Look at what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds? What good is it if someone says one thing, you get get this, says one thing, but then does another? What good is it when someone promises you something, but then delivers another? What good is it? The answer is, well, it's not. And so we ask the next question. The next question is, can such faith save them? Here's what I want you to know. In this section, James is talking about fake faith. So let me just give you the characteristics of fake faith, and we'll look at what the text says, okay? First of all, fake faith is convenient, and it only affects parts of my life. A fake faith is very convenient. Woo, I'm having an emotional feeling, I'm excited, I'm all kinds, not that there's wrong with emotions or feelings or all of that, but fake faith is a convenient faith that doesn't Genuinely seep into the hard parts of your life and change you. It's convenient and it only affects parts of your life. Now, what parts? Well, James covers at least two. Look at verse 15. Here's what he says Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. You ever met somebody like that? You ever met somebody in need? Yeah. Ever been in need? James is asking a real-life application question. What do you do? You're a Christian. Okay, let's say you have faith. You meet somebody. That somebody has real-life needs. They don't have food. They don't have clothing. You have extra. What do you do? Look at the next verse. Verse 16 says this. If one of you says to them, go in peace, oh, brother, go in peace. Keep warm and be well fed. I'll be thinking thoughts and praying prayers. I'm sorry, I'm being mildly sarcastic here this morning. But, but how often is that what we do? Well, that's the extent of our faith. That's the level of discomfort we're willing to deal with. When you see somebody else in need, we say, "Ah, be warm, be fed," but you do nothing about their physical needs. What good is that faith? Woo. Boy. I'm telling you, it gets uncomfortable. Following Jesus is not a cruise. You understand that? It's not a you get on the boat They hand you a drink, and you sit back and relax, and somebody waits on your need all the time. That's not following Jesus. He says it must change us. Look at verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself is not, if it is not accompanied by actions, it is dead. So what is he saying? He's saying fake faith is convenient and it only affects parts of your lives. Well, what what part? One shows up here. It affects your words. If all that faith does is change your words, oh, yes, I love God. Oh, yes, I go to church. Oh, yes, I, if that's all it ever affects, you need to ask questions about your faith. You need to ask questions about where you are at, okay? And I, I, I'm not here, I'm not the judge. I don't, I don't, I'm not the one who stands and tells you, you know, where your faith is, but it would be wise for you to stop and go, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not seeing this show up in my life. What do I need to do? Hmm. Let's reevaluate, okay? It affects your words, but when our words don't match up with our deeds, what then? He goes on. Look at verse 17. The same verse I just read to you, but I'll, I'll give it to you again. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's, it, it, it's not a living faith. It's not the kind of faith that God designed to produce in you and me. Verse 18. But some will say, you have faith I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. What is he saying? Some people would say, oh, I have faith. I have faith. Okay, how are you gonna show it? Your faith should show up. It should be visible. It should be something that you can see. Then in verse 19, he says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. What is is James doing here? Something you need to know and understand about the context here. James was a a pastor in the Jerusalem church, primarily a a Jewish community of believers, okay? And and the Jewish people, even to this day, celebrate something that we call the Shema, okay? They call it the Shema. It's a declaration from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that says, the Lord... He is one, the Lord, He is God. It's something that they repeat over and over. In fact, if you ever go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem, one of the most iconic places, used to be known as the Wailing Wall, you see people standing there and you'll see people rocking and they are saying the Shema over and over and over. And James takes the same language. He takes the language of, of the Shema and, and, and basically says, okay, there is one God, there is one, He is God, God is one. He's saying, you believe that? Cool. Guess what? So do the demons. So does the devil. So does God's enemy. That's not enough, brothers and sisters. It's not enough. I think he's telling them that faith is convenient and it affects parts of your life. It may affect your words. It may also affect your emotions. But if it doesn't affect your living, your actions, we need to start asking questions. You may be moved by what happens here. You may be excited by spiritual experiences. But when it comes to Monday, if your life is the same as it's always been, it might be time to ask some questions. Verse 20 says this, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he's about to give us some. But before I do that, I want to just characterize really quickly fake faith for you, okay? These are the descriptors that, that James gives about fake faith. James says three things about faith, faith, fake faith. Number one, it's dead. Number two, it's demonic. Number three, it's useless. A faith that is not paired up or producing works, is dead, demonic, and useless. I would also say, boy, it's so dangerous. Because you can sit here and you can think that everything's good and you can feel like you've got it. And, and, and I would just tell you, man, if it's not changing your life, please, please, please let God examine you. Now let's look at the flip side, because in the rest of the section, James talks about the real deal, the authentic, not the counterfeit, but the genuine, okay? James talks about genuine faith, and here's what he says. He says this, real faith is, instead of being, you know, convenient, real faith is costly. Real faith is costly, and it affects all of my life. Instead of, you know, if you can just imagine with me a, a, a little, you know, wheel of my life, you know. And here's Aaron in the center, and I got my job, and I got, I got, I got my hobbies, and I got my family, and I got my house, and I got, you know, uh, whatever else you, you have. And, and yeah, there's a little bit of church in here, and my small group, and all of that. But, but at the end of the day, if it all revolves around me, that's not Christianity See, when Jesus comes in, Jesus says, nope, hey, here's the deal. We're not just going to add Jesus onto this wheel that revolves around Aaron. We're taking Aaron off of the throne of the center. We're putting Jesus in the center, and now everything else needs to revolve around Jesus. And if Jesus says it needs to change, it's time for it to change. Now, I won't stand in front of you and act like I'm perfect at that. But I can stand in front of you as a person who God has been per- progressively changing bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. Real faith is costly and it affects all of our life and in this section James gives us two examples okay the example of Abraham and the example of Rahab the first example is Abraham and the story that he talks about comes from Genesis chapter 15 verses 1 through 6 the story goes like this God comes to Abraham Abraham's already confessed his faith in God and believed God it's already been counted to him for righteousness but then God comes to him and says okay Abraham you know I promised you a son I gave you that son guess what You're to take that son, and you're to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, can I just be honest with you for a minute? I struggle with this passage of Scripture. Anybody else? You don't have to raise your hand. I struggle with it. Why would God do that? I don't know. But he did, and he asked him, God knowing all along that he was going to stop Abraham. The question was, what would Abraham give to God? Would it be all? And he did. He took his son Isaac, his promised son Isaac. He put the wood on his back. They went up Mount Moriah. They built the altar. Isaac's looking around going, Dad, I see the fire. I see the knife. I've got the altar. Where's the sacrifice? And, And Abraham said to his son, he said, hey, listen, son, God will provide. And he put Isaac on the altar. And right before he went to take his life, God stopped him. And then James says this, talking about the story of Abraham. In verse 21, he says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Well, yeah. Yeah, he was. Now, here's the thing. God had already accounted to Abraham righteousness but his righteousness and his, the, 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 the reality of his faith was now on full display. You get it? He goes on in verse 22 and he says this. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. They were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. In other words, if the work, if the deeds never showed up, his faith would not be genuine. Now some would say, well, wait a minute. What about the thief on the cross? There's a story with Jesus and there's, there's, there's two thieves crucified right beside him and one believed that day and he never had a chance to do any works. No, that's very, very true. I get it. But I am confident that God would have been working in his life and would have produced change, okay? Abraham's example shows us that faith and works are not competing. This James, James passage is not about faith versus works. This passage is about real faith versus fake faith. That's what it's really all about. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Verse 24, you see that a person is not considered righteous by what they do, or excuse me, I read that wrong. (laughs) Let me read that correctly. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, is this saying that you earn God's favor? No, 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 no. Scripture is very clear on that, but it's saying we are saved by faith alone through grace alone, but faith alone doesn't save. Faith produces work. It changes you. Changes you. A faith that is alone is not a real faith that's that's a hard one to swallow verse 25 talking about Rahab this is a second illustration that he gives to us so Abraham first Abraham laid it all in the line Rahab did the same in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction here's the story of Rahab the nation of Israel is coming out of the Exodus, up out of Egypt, and they're moving into the promised land. And, and God uh, was, was uh, taking them into the land of Israel, and Moses sent spies into the land. And a couple of the spies made it to the city of Jericho. And when they, when they got there, they're you know they came into the city they're looking around and they they knew that they were going to be in trouble if they got caught there so they went to a woman's house her name was Rahab and she was known to be a prostitute and when she got when they got there she said to them hey guess what i know that god your god is the one true god and that he's given us into your hands stay here i'll hide you she hid them and then she let them down at night Out, she happened to live on an outer wall. She let them down the wall. But she said to them, hey, when you come back, remember me. She knew that God was going to destroy Jericho, but she said, remember me. She professed that she believed in God and that God had delivered the city into the hands of the Israelites. She took a great risk. She honored God even though it could have cost her her life if they had found out what she'd done could have cost her a life. Verse 26 says this as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead. Real faith is costly and it will change everything. So What's the bottom line? Here's the bottom line. True faith will show up in your life. True faith will change how you deal with your spouse when he's an idiot. Notice I said he. Okay? True faith will change your response when your boss is a jerk. True faith will change the way you deal with your siblings when they hurt you. True faith will change your words when you're angry. True faith will help you and allow you to be able to deal with bitterness and resentment and pain and unforgiveness. It's going to change everything. And if it doesn't, we better start asking, what is going on? So here's what I want to ask you to consider today, okay? Here's the question, simple question for you. Is my faith the kind that produces obedience in all areas? Or is it the kind that is dead and really has no effect on my life? And you might say, well, my faith isn't dead. But if it doesn't have any effect on your life, can we just be honest with each other for a minute? Because James has gone to the work of declaring a faith that doesn't change you as something that is dead. So let's be honest with each other. See, I want to remind you of what Jesus did. As you're considering this question, is your faith one that produces obedience in all areas? Or is it the kind that is dead and really has no effect on your life? I want to remind you of what Jesus did in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Paul, a man who who before Jesus was living on this this mission to to wipe out Christians. And then God changed everything. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 he says this. He says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. In other words, not just a standing of righteousness, but that our lives should be changed. That's, that's what Jesus came to do. So in the beginning, I, I, I told you that deeds reveal the quality of your faith. That's the overarching idea in James chapter 2 here. So, if deeds reveal the quality of your faith, what then? If deeds reveal the quality of your faith, then you and I need to examine ourselves. Examine, check, look. What's going on? And I plead with you, I'm telling you this because I realize that even when Jesus was teaching, lots and lots of people followed him. Way more people than will ever follow me, okay? Way more people. But at certain times when Jesus said hard things, lots of people fell away. And I would just wonder, when things get tough here, are you going to fall away? Or is your faith real? Do you say one thing and do another? Or is it consistent? Is it convenient and counterfeit? Is it real? Is it genuine? Is it costly? Is it changing everything? Now I want to end with a story. And I'm going to ask my wife um, to come up here and join me because it's not my story. This is my wife, Amanda. You can say hi. Hi. Okay, yes. Um, I need to find you a microphone here. Yeah, here. We're going to grab Isaacs, guys. Okay. So, um, can you say hi? Hi. (laughs) She loves being in front of people, so, yeah. Um, Amanda, can you tell me a little bit about your, your life growing up? and um, what faith looked
1: like for you growing up. Yeah, so, ooh, that was really loud, sorry. <laughs> Woo, now we're all awake. I'm so glad for this mm-hmm. ending. Um, so growing up, uh, I grew up in a, what you would call a Christian home. We went to church every single time the doors were open. But uh, for me, it was not something that affected my life. I did not have a relationship with Jesus. I showed up to church Sunday Morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, and did the things, checked the boxes, um, but didn't really understand what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ.
0: So, would you say you had faith then?
1: Uh, no, I had I had things that I was doing.
0: You had you had some faith, or like maybe you, you know? Th-
1: I had knowledge. You I had, had knowledge. Like a knowledge okay. of who Jesus was and what the Bible was, but um, not a relationship.
0: So, what happened?
1: So uh, I went to college with um, this knowledge and um, I made choices that were not helpful for my life and um, ended up um, in some really hard spots where Jesus was literally taking every single thing out of my life that I held dear in order to get my attention so that I would come to him and say, listen, I surrender. I have." Nothing, and I need you and did you do that i did uh, I, it, it, I i i um, if you don't know this about me, I am just a little bit stubborn um, and <laughs> and so I fought for a while two
0: two very stubborn people married yeah, to each other it's, it's an
1: interesting relationship mm-hmm. yeah. and we have produced wonderful children out of that <laughs> <laughs> um, so I definitely fought God for a while um, because I truly did not want to give up the things that um, were a comfort to me. And so um, one night after going to church, um, we there was an evangelist that came to our church, and um, to be honest, he talked about... Um, the realization of hell and what that was going to be like and um, that we all needed Jesus to save us from that and to save us from ourselves. And that was the night that I decided that I needed to have, I needed to put my faith in Jesus and to have a relationship with him.
0: Yeah. Uh, And what did you, just really briefly, what did you commit yourself to doing after that, shortly after that? Like what what kind of things showed Um, up in your life? So...
1: Actually, uh, very quickly after that, God brought an opportunity into my life to um, go to a camp and to be a counselor for the summer, and I knew that I needed to get away from the things and the people that I had had in my life previously, and this was the perfect opportunity. It was out in the middle of nowhere, Um, and so I surrendered to that and said, okay, God, if this is what you want, I'm going to do it, and I did it, and um, oddly enough, that's where I met my husband. (laughs)
0: In, in a cornfield. That was great.
1: <laughs> so, but um, it was it was after after my decision to place my faith in Jesus um, that subsequent decisions came to surrender things in my life to Jesus.
0: Yeah, she. You, you, I'll say this for her. she had decided that she was going to kind of basically be be single and go be a missionary uh, in in Africa of all places. She'd given given her life over to Christ at that point. And God had different different plans. Now why do, why do we share this with you this morning? We share this with you not, not to really draw attention to us or anything, but to show you that it, it's possible to be there and to hear all the things and know all the things and maybe even to a certain degree believe all of the things and to not have it impact you and change you. So the question that Amanda wrestled with was, okay, am I surrendered? And that's what I want to leave you with today. Are you surrendered? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for Jesus and the work that he's done. Thank you that He's made it possible. That it's it's not, it's not me having to earn my way to you, really honestly. You've paid every cent of it. But when when I turn to you, that is gonna change me. Change the way I live, change the way I treat others and interact with others and change my my reputation in the community and my my character. God, I pray pray that each of us would examine ourselves to see what kind of faith we have. Is it real? Is it genuine? Is it costly? Or is it counterfeit? Is it fake? Is it convenient? Pray, God, that we would be real followers of yours. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.